All right, we are going to be, actually we're going to be in several different spots. So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 3. And we're also going to be in John chapter 1. And we will also be in Mark chapter 1. So Luke 3, John 1, and Mark 1. And those are all the Gospels, so they are all located very very close together. Mark what? It's Luke 3, John 1, and Mark 1. So Luke 3 and John 1 and Mark 1. And we'll start at Luke 3, we'll go to John chapter 1, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 1. Those bookmarks are coming in handy already. It's right behind it. Yeah, Luke will be right after Mark. That's what I said. I have a lot of stuff like that. Luke 3. I don't remember it now. Well, that's fine. I just remember that part. All right. So we will go ahead and start. And we're going to do Luke 3. And we're going to read verses 2 through 6. And then we'll go to John chapter 1 after that and start in verse 6. So, Luke 3, chap- <laughs> have you, you found it? Because that's not English. <laughs> it's not. Uh, Luke 3, 2 is where we're starting. Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, John chapter 1, starting in verse 6. John is after Luke. John 1, 6? Yes. So we're going to read... We're going to read verses 6 through 8, and then we're going to skip down to verse 19 there in John chapter 1. So starting in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now skip down to verse 19 of the same chapter. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. Now Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. 
So starting in verse 2 of Mark chapter 1, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So, in case you didn't notice, all these verses or all these passages of scriptures that we talked about are speaking of John the Baptist. Do y'all know who John the Baptist is? The name sounds familiar, I'm sure. Yeah, you know the name, but not for sure who he is. That's fine. I will tell you who he is. So uh, it starts out with uh, sometimes, I, uh, not always, but sometimes people will kind of mention this story whenever they're talking about the birth of Christ. Because uh, what happened was is that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were quite old and they had never had a child. Well, then uh, an angel came to him while Zacharias, Zechariah was uh, performing in the temple or whatever it was, the uh, he was he was a priest, and so he was performing those duties. And an angel appeared to him and told him he was going to have a son. And so Zechariah said to the angel, uh, basically, uh, how is this going to happen? Because me and my wife are old, is basically what he said. And so the angel, which I believe was Gabriel, I figured I knew the story good enough that I didn't read over it, but obviously I'm not certain that it's Gabriel, so I should have looked over it. But I believe it was Gabriel, and he said, I stand in the presence of God, and you're going to question me. You will be dumb until the day that this comes to pass, which means he took away his ability to speak. So uh, Zechariah comes out of the temple, and he's all trying to motion, telling people what had happened, because they were like, man, how could you linger in there so long? That's dangerous, because uh, you could be struck dead by God if you uh, did something wrong whenever you were performing the rituals. So anyway, he comes out, and he goes home, and uh, his wife does get pregnant, and uh, uh, they have uh, a baby named John. Well, before they have him, uh, the angel comes to Mary and tells Mary that she is going to have Jesus. And you know that story, so I don't have to go over that. But uh, if you will remember in the story of, of the birth of Jesus is that Mary left and went to stay with her cousin, Elizabeth. And so... That Elizabeth is John's mother. And so Mary goes to see Elizabeth to visit with her. And so just as Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, the baby leaps in her womb. Because she's a lot farther, quite a bit farther along than Mary would have been. Um, maybe, I think it was maybe six months. But anyway, so even in the womb, John knew the voice of the Messiah because he leapt in her womb, she said. And so just such an amazing thing. He, it was also said that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And so just an amazing story of his birth, how his parents were old and everything. But uh, John was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He, let's see here, I'm getting out of, right here, I'm going to start here. He was to be the forerunner for Christ, and God gave him uh, this task to perform. A forerunner is a person or a thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else. So John was to pave the way for Christ to come. So John was to get everybody kind of all stirred up and ready for the Messiah, for the Christ. Kind of like, and... 
I hope this isn't silly to liken it this way, but kind of like the opening band at a concert. You know, you're really not coming to see the opening band. You know, if you get to see them, yeah, big deal. That's that's great. But you you listen to the opening band, but you're really what they're really doing is just kind of prepping you to get all excited for the main event, for the main people that you came to hear. And so uh, the 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 opening band kind of gets everybody pumped up by. Uh, and they're hearing them and they, get, they just look with greater anticipation to the actual main show. So John was kind of the opening act so that when everyone was all relaxed and ready to receive, they would be primed and ready to receive the Savior. So that is who John was. And also, he, obviously, from his name, John the Baptist, what he did was he went about baptizing people. It was there at the uh, Jordan River. I'm not sure if we read it. I took a lot of scripture out because I had tons more scripture to read. And I was like, oh, that's going to be a lot. So I took a lot of it out. But uh, we know that John the Baptist baptized people. He said uh, he, he told them to repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand and uh, told them to come and be baptized. And if you didn't know, even Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. And John was like, oh, no, Lord, I can't baptize you because John knew who he was. But Jesus said, no, you're going to baptize me. So John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And then whenever Jesus was baptized, the dove came down. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. And then God's voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so the interesting thing that I hadn't actually picked up on before that was that John said that God had told him that that would happen. And he would know who the Messiah was by even just that sign. So, uh, what we're going to look at right now is that first verse in Luke chapter 3 that we read. And it says, The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So, the word of God came to him in the wilderness. I'm going to read you the definition of wilderness. Wilderness is solitary, lonely, desolate uninhabited and then as far as places go it means a desert wilderness deserted places lonely regions an uncultivated region fit for pasturage and then as far as people go it means to be a wilderness means to be deserted by others deprived deprived of the aid and protection of others especially of friends acquaintances and kindred so the next one that I want to look at is the, uh, where it says word, because it says the word of God came to John in the wilderness. And word is that which is or has been uttered by the living voice, thing spoken, word. Any sound produced by the voice and having definite meaning. Speech, discourse, what one has said. And this is the one that I want to focus a little more on. A series of words joined together into a sentence. A declaration of one's mind made into words. So uh, keep that in mind as far as wilderness and, and word goes. A word is a declaration of one's mind made into words. And then wilderness is a place that's uninhabited. It's desolate. It's lonely. So uh, it says that it also it says that John, the son of Zacharias. And so Zacharias is the Greek form of Zachariah, which means remembered by Jehovah. And so John was the son to a man whose name meant remembered by Jehovah. God remembered. So what did he remember? What was he remembering? His promise to send a Messiah who would set people free. 
And then John's name means Jehovah is a gracious giver. His own name meant that Jehovah is a gracious giver. So giver of what? Giver of the Messiah. Giver of freedom and abundant life. So now let's put all of that together. And uh, it says, Jehovah is a gracious giver. Son of remembered by Jehovah was in an uninhabited place when a declaration of God's mind came to him. So God gave John a task and a purpose to accomplish. God told him what he was to do, and he gave him clear guidelines while he was in the wilderness of how he was to go about his work. John knew exactly who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't question what the Lord wanted for his life. He knew what the Lord had spoken into him, and he was determined to go about doing just that. And so then I wanted to look at John 1, 20 through 23. This is where uh, the Jews were asking about it. Yeah, we read that. Whenever uh, the, Jew, the Pharisees sent people to ask if he was Elijah or if he was a prophet, prophet or even if he was the Christ, he didn't start getting puffed up and be like, they think I'm something special. He didn't get distracted by how he, he thought that how they thought he could be the Messiah. And he didn't try to pretend that that's what he was. He simply said, no, I'm not Christ. I'm not Elijah. And I'm not a prophet. He simply said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And that is our title, by the way, I forgot to tell you, be the voice crying in the wilderness. That's what we're focusing on tonight, and that is our title. Be the voice crying in the wilderness. And that's what John was. John was crying in the wilderness. He didn't try to lift himself up to be more than what God said he was. He stepped fully into the calling that God had placed on his life, and he owned it. He took it, and he said, no, this is what God said that I'm supposed to be doing, and that's what I'm going to do. He was crying in the wilderness for people to receive the salvation of the Lord. He was beckoning them. Come on, it's coming. He was preparing the way for Christ. He was getting everybody ready to, to meet the Savior so that people could be prepared for the salvation of the Lord. He was crying out that they wouldn't let Christ pass by when he came, but that they would know him and be available when he came. He was trying to make sure that they were prepped and ready for that. And also, John didn't sugarcoat his message in any way. He told them as straight as he could what was going to go down. He was very honest with them. And so uh, I'm going to read this passage of scripture for you real quick. It says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him, John, John the Baptist, in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father for i say unto you that god is able of these stones to raise up children unto abraham and now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he that cometh after me which is christ is mightier than i whose shoes i am not worthy to bear he shall baptize you with the holy ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly 
purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So what he is saying here to the the Pharisees and the Jews and the Sadducees, to all of them, he just calls them out and he calls them a generation of vipers. And he tells them, come on, you need to bring some fruits, meat for repentance. You need to come and repent. And don't think to yourself, well, I'm of the seed of Abraham, so I'm good. Because that's that's probably what they were thinking. We need to think the same thing. Well, just because I live in America where there's so many freedoms, well, I'm going to be good. I'm never going to have to face persecution. I'm never going to have to do anything. God's always going to protect this nation because it was founded on God. No, we don't need to think that way. Because if this nation continues to turn from him, his wrath is coming. Even if this nation never turns from him, his wrath is coming. Because the end of the world is coming. It's, it's prophesied in the Bible. It will happen. And what our job is, is to let other people know about that. So um, he told them exactly what was going on. So that's what they were thinking. Since we have Abraham, since we're descendants of Abraham, because God, so just to clarify, God had told Abraham that he would make him a, a people and it would be God's people forever, basically. And so that's why they were comforting themselves in that way. So John was saying, oh no, no, don't you think that, that God, that you, you're, you're just sitting pretty because God, you're, you're God's people or whatever, because God can raise up a generation of Abraham, even from the stones. And so he also said that the ax is ready and any tree that isn't bringing forth good fruit will be chopped down and cast into the fire. And then he tells them that they must repent for the one that comes after him is going to be able to judge and separate the wheat from the chaff, the good from the bad, the sheep from the goats, and the real from the fake. What he was saying is that, you know, yes, I can baptize you with water. And what you're doing is you're, you're making like a, a statement of faith in, in our God. You're, you're, you're preparing yourself for Jesus that's coming. But he was saying that Jesus that's coming, he's going to know your hearts. And he's going to be able to judge you. And he's going to know what's going on. So he was saying that Jesus will baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So just uh, all of that, uh, that's basically where we're going to end talking about John the Baptist. But just what an awesome ministry. I mean, amazing what he did to pave the way and be the forerunner for Christ. And isn't it amazing that God planned John's life from conception, how God planned it all from the beginning and led John through every step of the way, telling him what he should do while he was in the wilderness. He, God told him what his calling was and who he would be in the preparation of the Christ that was coming. God laid out the plan for John's life, and then John stepped into that plan, and he fulfilled it by the leading of his Lord. He didn't waver from it, and he he did all that he was called to do. He was that voice crying in the wilderness. He, He heard God's voice in the wilderness, and then he did what God told him to do while still in the wilderness. So we all agree that it is amazing what God called John the Baptist to do and do through him. So now it's our turn. Now we have to turn this on us. We are forerunners for Christ. We are, this, we are basically doing the same thing that John did. And let me explain that. He's already come as the Messiah, but we, we hear it talked about all, all the time, and we know that he's coming back. The rapture is going to take place. He's going to come back for his church. He's going to come back for his bride. And then he's also eventually going to come back and and establish his eternal reign. 
and he's going to reign as king of kings and lord of lords. So we are living in this wilderness of the world, and it is solitary. It is lonely. It is desolate. It seems uninhabited by, by the glory of God some of the time because of all the evil that is in this place. We need to declare the way of the Lord that there is salvation, that there is a Savior. This world without Christ is such a weary place, such a drab, gray place, that most people will question just even the meaning of life. That's what everybody wants to know. What's the meaning of life? And even more specifically, what's the meaning of my life? People are searching for that whether they tell anybody about it or not. They want to know, why am I here? What is it that I, why, why, why about all of this? They want to know, and we have the answer. We can tell them the meaning of their life. We can tell them the, mean, the meaning of all life. We can tell them about our wonderful Lord. And then I also want to uh, touch on uh, the other definition of wilderness as far as uh, people go. It, the wilderness means to be deserted by others, deprived of the aid and protection of others, especially friends, acquaintances, and kindred. So maybe the wilderness of this world is just a little bit more personal for you right now. Maybe it feels like you have been deserted by your friends or loved ones, and it doesn't feel like you're offered any kind of help or aid from anybody. But you can still be the voice crying even in your wilderness that you're going through. Just because we go through a valley or we're having a hard time doesn't mean we need to shut our mouths about anything that God is because we can't proclaim what he's doing because we're going through a wilderness. That's all the more when we should proclaim it. I watched, uh, I met a lady while we were in Baton Rouge and her husband died of brain cancer, I think two years ago. And she has three beautiful children and just the love of Jesus on this lady is unreal. She's just amazing. We got to go to her house, and she's just so sweet. And I didn't know all this at the time. I found it out later. And then I was watching one of their services on Facebook, and she's leading worship. And she's leading these songs about how wonderful God is. She's leading these songs about how, how uh, and talking about this as well, about how our suffering turns us to him. And it was just such a beautiful, wonderful testimony how she can stick with God, how she can, can, can continue to worship him, even in the state and, and the life that she's had to live, the, the pain that she's had to go through. She is still lifting him up, and we need to do the same thing. Even if we're facing a wilderness, even if we're facing hard times, we can still proclaim how good God is because he still is good, and that suffering draws us to him. It, it draws us closer to him because we need him in that time of suffering. So um, don't give up on the calling that God has placed on your life just because it seems like everyone else has. Continue in your calling and continue to prepare the way of the Lord. Continue to make his path straight. And as we live in this wilderness, whether it is just the world and how awful it is or whether it's our own personal wilderness that we're going through being deserted and feeling let down we must open ourselves up to hear the word of the lord just as john the baptist heard the word of the lord in the wilderness we can hear the word of god in this wilderness as well he is ready to give a declaration of his mind to anyone that is willing just as just as we said john the baptist heard 
the word of God in the wilderness, that was, a, that was a declaration of God's mind. God wants to do that for us. We just need to say, I am willing, Lord, to do what you call me to do. Our lives are a declaration of how God is a gracious giver because he remembered us and saved us and lives in us. So we must listen for the word of the Lord to call us to minister in this wilderness. And the call will only come if we're listening. And if we would open ourselves up to hear, we would hear him say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And if, if you notice here, he didn't say, Go ye therefore, all you preachers that are called to preach. He didn't say, Go ye therefore, all you missionaries that are called to the mission field. He didn't say, Go ye therefore, all you youth pastors. He just said, Go ye therefore. This is a call for every single one of us. All of us. We are to teach all nations. And then this never crossed my mind. But baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You notice that the pastor always says that when they baptize somebody. And you notice it's always the pastor that baptized. Well, the way I'm reading this scripture, we're all qualified to baptize somebody. If it came upon you and you were ministering to somebody and they got saved and they understood it all. And they said, wow, I'd like to be baptized. And there was no preacher around. You are qualified as a child of God because he has called us to spread this gospel. Amazing. Absolutely amazing that we are allowed to take part in this. You don't need just a perfect special calling on your life to go and spread the gospel. You just need Jesus. You just need Jesus in you. And you are to go do that. We are the forerunners for Christ's return. And also he said in Mark Chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There are so many people that don't know him. So many people that have rejected him. What are we doing about it? Are we that voice crying in the wilderness? Are we willing to be the forerunner for Christ's return? Are we willing to tell them how else will they believe? How else will they hear? If we don't tell them, who's going to tell them? They won't hear it on the news. They won't hear it uh, in, in some of the, even the churches that are out there today aren't even preaching the real gospel. They're not going to hear it at school. They're, they need to hear it from us. What, uh, what if John the Baptist had refused to do his calling? What if he had refused to go out and cry in the wilderness and baptize people? What if I refused my calling to teach you? What if I didn't show up to teach you and tell you about this awesome God that we serve? So what if you refuse to do your calling and preach the gospel? Are you willing to be the voice in the wilderness, crying out, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord for his return? We have to be bold as John the Baptist was. People don't need a watered-down gospel. There's enough of that out there, and it doesn't bring anybody hope. The only thing that brings hope is the real gospel. They need the truth. They need the way. They need the life. They need Jesus. So we must tell them. So go cry in the wilderness. 
The wilderness, as we talked about, is the world. The wilderness is your school. The wilderness is your home. The wilderness is even in your own life. Sometimes you have to cry out to yourself. No, I am not going to let God down. I am going to serve him. Cry even to yourself. Cry to your family. Be that voice crying in the wilderness, telling people Christ's return is near. It is so near, and we must be looking for that and doing what we are supposed to be doing. So Daniel chapter 2, and uh, we'll start in verse 31, and we'll go to verse uh, 45. <clears throat> Alright, starting in verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. Verse 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potters as clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. 
So, Lord, thank you so much for letting us gather together gather together tonight, Lord. I pray that we will just hear what you have to say to us today, God. Anoint us to hear your word, Lord. Let us just be able to focus on you and disregard any distractions, any other things that are on our minds, trying to keep us from learning something spiritual tonight, something that will grow us deeper in you, Father. So I pray that you will just, we will guard against that, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the enemy, Lord, that he wouldn't come in and take away this word out of our ears, Lord, that we may hear your voice tonight, God, that we may grow closer to you, Lord, tonight. Tomorrow's not certain, Lord, so please just let us focus on you tonight and get what we can from you and give what we can to you, Lord, and offer ourselves a living sacrifice to you. I pray that you will just be with everybody at this church tonight, Lord, that if there's a need anywhere that somebody needs to have met tonight, that it will be met in your grace, Lord, that we will come to you with what we need because we know you are a loving Father and you hear us, Lord. Just anoint me, Lord, to say what you'd have me to say and let me only do what is in your will for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're going to talk about let the rock break the molded image tonight. That is our title, let the rock break the molded image. So in this passage of the Bible, Daniel and his friends have been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's plan here was that they were going to teach them the language of the, Chal the Chaldeans or Chaldeans, however you say it, and their ways so that they could be of use in this kingdom because Daniel and his friends were Hebrews. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? Well, those are Daniel's friends. These, these are part of the, the other friends that are held captive with them, which those are their pagan names. Uh, their, their Hebrew names are, uh, oh, there it is, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. So that was their Hebrew names. So they've all been taken captive and uh, so that they can learn these things and be of use to uh, the people that have taken them captives. So the king dreams a dream and we, I'm, I'm explaining what has gone on even before the passage we've read. Because this whole chapter, I would have loved to have read it, but it was only it was uh, 49 verses long. So we didn't go through and read the whole chapter. If you want to read it, you can later. But uh, So I'm just going to break down kind of what has been going on. So what happens in this passage of scripture is Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he dreams a dream. And then he calls all the wise men in and the magicians and the astrologers. And he says, hey, you guys come in here. I want you to uh, interpret my dream. And so they say, okay, well, tell us what your dream was. And he goes, no, it, it is gone from me, he says. He forgot it. He, he could not remember what his dream was. So he says, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it. And so the wise men were like, we can't do that. Uh, that nobody's ever asked that of anybody before. It is a rare thing that you have asked us, is what they said. And so the king gets mad about this, that they don't know his dream, that they can't interpret it. So he just declares, all right, well, you know, I'm just going to kill all the wise men. And this would have included Daniel and his friends. And so when Daniel finds out that their lives are in danger, he asks if he could have just a little bit of time to seek the Lord to see if he could... Uh, the Lord revealed to him his dream and the interpretation of it as well. And so he is allowed to seek God. And so uh, as Daniel and his friends seek the Lord, the Lord does reveal the dream to Daniel and the interpretation of it. And so that's such just an amazing thing that God did here. Because 
It's just an amazing thing. I've never had somebody else's dream revealed to me. And it's such an interesting thing because our dreams, most of the time, just like the king, we can't even remember what they were. So to imagine somebody telling you exactly what you dream and then you're like, that was it. It's such an amazing thing. It's a powerful thing. It was so simple and yet so powerful because God did so many great things in the Bible. And even since the Bible has been written in all of history, he's done just a magnitude of amazing things but this is just one other amazing way that God worked so he revealed the dream to Daniel and uh, I, I completely agree with the wise men that this was a crazy thing that the king asked them to do and it was impossible to know what his specific dream was that night but God can do anything and in this situation he was mighty to save his people Daniel and his friends so Daniel explains that while the king was asleep, he saw a great image. And this is where we pick up in our scripture that we actually read. Uh, he saw a great image. And this image had a head of gold, a chest and arms that were silver, belly and thighs that were brass, legs that were iron, and the feet were half iron and half clay. So then the king saw a stone cut out without hands that smote the image and it broke it into pieces. And all those pieces were carried away on the wind like chaff is on the threshing floor till they could not be found. And so you know how the wheat works, what they're talking about here, like chaff on the wind. They'll throw up the chaff and the wheat together and uh, fan it, whatever. The wind will catch the chaff and the chaff will blow away while the wheat is heavier and it will remain with them. So that's what he's talking about here. So the pieces of this image uh, were carried away on the wind is what it says. So then the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. So that is quite a dream. So I'm surprised that the king even forgot it, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it was for God's glory so that God could reveal that dream to Daniel so that Daniel could save his people so that Nebuchadnezzar could know who uh, the uh, real God was. And then also the king was just amazed at it. He fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel, verse 46 says, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And also something that I didn't mention that just came to me is that uh, whenever Daniel came before the king, he came in great humbleness. He didn't come before the king and was like, all right, I'm going to tell you how this went down. This is exactly what happened, and, uh, and you can thank me later. He didn't go about it anyway. What he said to the king, which I won't read the verse specifically, but what he said to the king was basically, I'm nobody, and the only reason that I can tell you this is because the God of heaven and earth told me is because God revealed it to me. God is the one that should be praised in this situation. Daniel didn't go in there with any kind of an air or trying to act like he was anybody. He kept it simple and he said, I am the Lord's servant in a way. So, so now Daniel tells the interpretation of the dream. And so as far as this lesson tonight goes, we're going to go in a bit of a different direction than what this scripture is completely about. But we are going to go ahead and talk about the interpretation now anyway. So uh, the head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom because it said that God had given him a kingdom of power, strength, and glory. So then we're just going to reread verses 39 through 43 just to refresh it. And uh, uh, verse 39 says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Those crying. 
Okay, I'm sorry. I will keep going. That's really sad. <laughs> and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So the gold kingdom was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And then uh, I'm just going to read some from a commentary that's kind of explaining what all these kingdoms are. So the next kingdom after Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, this was that of the Medes and Persians, inferior in time, for it lasted not half so long as the Assyrian in prosperity and tranquility. Yet was this wonderful, rich, and large kingdom for a time. So the third kingdom, this was the Grecian monarchy under Alexander the Great, called Brass, because coarser than the other. Over all the earth, Alexander marched even to the Indies and was said to conquer the world. So the fourth kingdom, this is the kingdom of the Romans, and was to last not only to Christ's first coming, but under Antichrist to his second coming. This did break in pieces all other kingdoms being too strong for them and brought all into subjection to it till the stone fell upon it. And then the divided one was the partly strong and partly weak. The Roman kingdom was divided partly by their civil wars, partly when conquered provinces and kingdoms cast off the Roman yoke and was set up of their own. And so the entire, the empire was divided into ten, ten kingdoms or toes, like the scriptures said. So God's purpose in all of this, he was revealing things about kingdoms that was going to come to pass. He was talking about how Nebuchadnezzar had that gold kingdom and there was going to be another kingdom inferior to it and so on and so forth is what he was trying to say. He was giving a prophecy, a glimpse into what the future was going to be. And then uh, it starts to talk, the scripture talks about the stone that is cut out without hands that breaks all the other kingdoms to pieces. And this is clearly Jesus and his kingdom. He will conquer all nations and be more powerful than them all. His kingdom shall fill the whole earth, just like the mountain did in the scripture. It said the mountain filled the whole earth. Christ's kingdom will fill the whole earth and shall stand forever. We know this is also talked about in Revelation, how the Lord will reign forever with his people. And that's just such an amazing thought, that the only uh, kingdom will be God's. There will be no other kingdom. There will be no other nations. It will just be the Lord's kingdom only. We will live in peace. We won't ever have to be concerned about war. We'll never have to be concerned about invasion. But we will just know that we are safe with him forevermore. Such an amazing thought. Because everybody, even people that are not saved, thirst for peace. Why do you think the United Nations was created? They want everyone just to live in harmony and peace. But it is not within the human race to be able to do that. It is not able. There's so many nations and we just can't all get along. It's just the fact of life. But whenever Christ establishes his kingdom and it fills the whole earth, it will be in peace and harmony. So what a plan our Lord has for us. 
not just for this life, but the life to come. So he has such great things in store for us. So why can we not trust our lives to him? How can we go about, go about our lives, not just fully committing ourselves to him? So um, that's all we're going to talk about as far as the, uh, the actual scripture. We're going to go ahead and move in the direction of uh, let the rock break the molded image in your life. So um, we're referring to this image as a molded image because of what the image was made out of. Because it was made out of metal. Whenever you, uh, they would make an image out of metal or even anything, they have to pour it into a mold. It's poured into the mold and then it's cooled to create an image. So we have read uh, that each different kind of metal represented a different kingdom. And these different kingdoms were going to be powerful, some more than others, and they were going to go around conquering the world. So it seems that we have molded images of how we personally are supposed to act and perform in our lives. Religion tells us that we need to act a certain way, that you need to be excited for Jesus, but not too excited. Don't you get too out of hand because this is, this is a religious ceremony. We need to be religious and we need to be calm and collected. Uh, maybe you, you need to do this or you need to do that is what religion is always trying to do. It's trying to mold you into something that is just fits their agenda. Um, that only certain people can maybe be ministers of the gospel. And another thing that I'm going to bring up tonight that I've heard said over and over is that youth are the church of tomorrow or of the future. I know you guys have heard that said, that people, people care about the young people, and I know they do, but a lot of times when they talk about you, they're talking about how you're the church of the future. You're the church of tomorrow. Uh, it seems that you guys aren't always giving it, given a chance to do the great work that he has called you to do now, because he has a great work for you to do now, not in 15 years when you've got it all together. He has a great work for you to do in your youth, where you're at in this time right now. So today, I just want to challenge you to allow Christ to break that molded image from your life. So just as these molds uh, that people want to set for us, conquer us and bring us down like these kingdoms would do. These kingdoms were going to go out and conquer. And that's what these molded images do in our life. Whenever somebody comes to us or, or even they don't come to us and they just imply it or you just feel this, this uh, restriction, restriction around you. They come and they want you to, to fit into this molded image of what you're supposed to be to them. Uh, they want to tell us what we are supposed to be. Uh, you can't start a revival because you're not holy enough. You can't preach in your school because you're not wise enough in the scriptures. You can't go out into the streets and witness because you're just crazy. Nobody does that anymore. You are too young to be anything for God yet. You are the future, not the present. Just sit back while us older people take care of everything. You need to be silent and learning. These are molded images that others are trying to form you to. And the only thing that can save us from these molded images and expectation of others is a rock that has been cut out of the mountain without hands. That's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He has the ultimate say on what our lives should be and what our work on this earth will be, whether others agree with it 
or not. When Jesus steps into your life and he says, Michaela, this is what I've got for you and I want you to do it, then that is what you walk in. You don't stop and say, wait a second, this isn't the mold that my parents have set for me. This isn't the mold that the principal at my school has set for me. This isn't the mold that, that my boss has set for me. People say that I would be good at this. People say that I should go and do that. No, 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 that's not. When we step into who Christ is and who Christ wants us to be, that is where we go. We break away from that molded image. Christ comes and he breaks that mold into pieces. He is our deliverer. He is our boss. He is the one and the only one that can do something with our lives. We can spend an entire lifetime trying to squeeze into the expectations of our family, of our friends, even of our church, but only Christ has the right to that position in our lives. He's the only one that has the right to give us a mold that we need to step into, and that is him. When we fully submit to his leadership and we say yes to that calling, he comes by and he breaks the molded image that we would become, and he breaks it into pieces. How awesome. We know we are free from sin. We all know that. Heard it preached so much. We know we're free from sin. We know we're free from hell and that we're heaven bound. But now we can truly know that we are free from the bondage of fulfilling other people's expectations of our lives. Other people's molded images that they want us to fit into can be broken through the power of what Christ can do for us. And also, uh, this is a, a side note, do realize that I'm not saying you should never seek counsel or get an opinion about something in your life from your parents or from an elder or from anybody. I'm just saying uh, it is so important to have mentors that are there for you. And we want to be there for that. Be that for you. We want to be here to be your mentors if you need anything. But I'm not saying you should avoid talking to anybody. But what I am talking about is being restricted in your walk with Christ or in your calling that he's called you to. That you cannot do what he wants you to do because of the bounds that somebody else has set on you. He is the one that needs to set bounds for what you are going to be. He is the one that you listen to. So just because you are young doesn't mean that you are useless to the kingdom of God. Just because you can't sing or you can't quote scripture or you can't play an instrument doesn't mean that you have nothing to offer. On the contrary, you are so important. You have everything to offer because you have Jesus. He is the one that makes us worthy in the first place. So let's just look at a couple of examples real quick in the Bible of young people that did awesome work for God because there's so many. And, and I, that, that's been my main point of this, this night is that I just don't want you guys to go about living your young life thinking that you've got nothing to offer God or his kingdom, that, that there's nothing that you can do because you're just young and all the old people have it taken care of. That's not the way it is. He wants you. He has a plan for you. He wants you to be able to go out and fulfill the calling that he has on your life. And maybe that is being a preacher. Maybe that is being a singer. Maybe that is being... Uh, a witness at your school in a mighty way, starting a revival. Maybe it's something even just even smaller. Maybe you're, he wants you to lead a certain person to Christ that is just on their way to the pits of hell. Whatever it may be, he has a plan for you and he has you here for that specific purpose right now. Your purpose isn't going to wait until you're 25 or until you're in college or, or until you have kids. You have a purpose right now. You have a purpose that he wants you to fulfill right now, and uh, he wants you to do that now in your youth. So David was a youth, but he slayed Goliath. 
He was such a young boy, but he went before Goliath in the power of God's strength. There was Mary, who was a young teenager. I've heard a lot of people say she was probably like 14, maybe younger. I don't know. But she birthed the Savior. There was a young servant girl, which didn't even get a name in Scripture. But she was the one that told Naaman, who was a captain of the Syrian army, of Elisha the prophet who could heal him of his leprosy. And he was, Naaman was the one that had to wash in the Jordan seven times to get rid of his leprosy. You might remember that from Sunday school. And then also in this very story, Daniel was a young person that had been taken into captivity. Daniel wasn't some 40-year-old man at this point. He was a young person. He may have even been your age. He sought God and he received the interpretation of the dream and all the wise men were saved because of this. He saved all those wise men, not only him and his friends, but he also saved the other wise men that they may have a chance to turn to God so that they may have a chance to serve God rather than serve whatever they had been serving. So break out of the mold that Religion has set for you for who should preach the gospel. Break out of the mold that your age has set for you, that your family has set for you, that your friends have set for you, that you're too young to do anything for God, or you're not talented enough, that you will never amount from, to anything because you came from some family or something like that. Break out of the mold that even your friends set for you, that, that, they, don't, that they don't want anything to do with Christ, so you shouldn't either. Break out of that. Let Christ break that, that, that molded image for you because Christ is the molded image breaker. He decides what you should do and what you should become. So step into the mold of Christ. Step into his grace, his salvation, and his plan for your life. Allow him to be the rock that breaks you from that molded image that has been set up and that has conquered you in your life. It just seems to tower above you like some kind of unattainable goal, but he will bring deliverance to you. He will break that image that others have set on your life. And I, uh, I do want to point this out, that remember what happened to the pieces that were broken up into the small pieces. Verse 35 says, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff to the summer or of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. There was no place found for them. Once Christ breaks the molded image in your life, there is no place found even for the pieces to be left in your life. Even the pieces of that image are not allowed there. So then what happens after this? Verse 44 says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. After the broken pieces are scattered away, then God establishes his kingdom in you, and it stands forever. When you have allowed Christ to come in and break these things away, you allow him to have his perfect way so that his kingdom, his plan, his purpose, his will can stand in you forever and accomplish what he wants. When Christ establishes something in you, he does it right the first time. You don't have to worry anymore after you have allowed him to set up his kingdom in your life, for it shall stand forever. 
invite him into your life tonight. And maybe you are already a Christian with him in your life, but you haven't been allowing him to break those molded images, those expectations, those purposes, and those plans that other people have set up for you. Maybe you've been feeling him calling you to do something, wanting you to do something, but you're not sure how the people around you would accept it, how they would take it. Allow him to break that from your life tonight so that you can step in to the power of that calling, to, to the purpose of his calling on your life. Ask him to break it. Ask him to come into your life and set up his kingdom and his purpose for you forever. Then trust that he has done that very thing and walk in that victory that he has restored in you. Because it doesn't mean that those people will never say anything to you. It doesn't mean that those people will just uh, all of a sudden back down and say, oh, 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 all right, you're you, the, the image is broken. We're all done. You may still have to stand up and say, no, this is what God has called me into. This is what I am going to do. I am going to live in that. And I am going to do this through uh, the power of Christ.